Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. So as you can see, lots to look forward to and delighted to say that throughout the show, I'm going to be joined by Dave Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror. And in the early part of proceedings, as promised by Jack Tudor. Jack, you're very welcome. Dave, welcome too. Busy week. We'll come today, first of all. Pretty busy week this week, Gary. Yeah, uh, the highlight was definitely the Leicester Piggott Memorial Service uh, on Thursday in St. Luke's Church in uh, Chelsea, which um, was a really uplifting experience to go to it, it the church was full it's a big church anyone who knows that church in sydney street will know um it was full um great contributions william haggis did uh, the main eulogy tracy piggott spoke jamie piggott spoke too um and it was a obviously we are now five months on from lester piggott's passing and so of course there was humor injected uh into the service and I, I really enjoyed it it was a uh, the the trains did their best uh, to stop me from going but I sort of almost had to roll under the shutters James Bond style uh, to get into the church um, they're the similarity ends I know <laughs> um, and um, but it was really good I, I, I enjoyed that very much and I, I, we talk this time of year don't we about the the, the handing over of the battle from flat to jumps and yesterday was the real Th that was the first Saturday where I don't think, well, obviously one mentioned Mick Shannon's retirement from the training ranks, um, but in terms of reports from the track yesterday, it was all about Ascot and it was about Weatherby. So I think that obviously we've got still got some flat action, they say the Melbourne Cup and uh, the Breeders' Cup to come, but the main focus now is on, on the National Hunt Code, isn't it? Which, Very much. Um, it's a great time of year. Jack... You're probably too young, obviously, to remember the great Lester Piggott in the saddle, but I'm sure you've watched a lot of the videos. Is there kind of still a sense of awareness amongst the jockeys of today uh, about just what he achieved in that career of his? Yeah, <coughs> I think he was he was pretty special, and um, you know he's still remembered to this day for being you know one of the one of the greats for sure. He started off at a very early age. He was riding winners, I think, when he was just 13 years old, but. You've done pretty well already at a relatively tender age and one of your I suppose most notable achievements so far has been riding out your claim last spring. How have you found life so far in amongst the I suppose the upper echelons of the game without that allowance to help you along? Yeah, um, yeah I'm quite I'm very lucky actually that I've got um, Christian who I work for is you know very very good to me and um, you know gives me every opportunity he can give me and um, supports me supports me a lot. I think it's obviously, you know, it does get a lot harder um, 
you're probably not quite as fashionable for a few years. So you just got to keep working and and hopefully that you know you get um, other chances elsewhere and uh, you can you know get back to mm. riding riding plenty of winners. Just how proud were you to ride out the claim? I mean, it's a pretty notable achievement. Was that one of your big ambitions when you started off? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I I didn't quite expect to do it um, as quick as I probably did, but. Um, yeah, when you've when you've lost it, it's, it's a it's definitely a massive achievement. So no, it's brilliant. And Dave, we've seen countless examples over the years of jockeys who look promising in their apprentice conditional days and then struggle without the claim. Have you got a bit of confidence that this young man is going to be able to hold his own? It's Absolutely been okay right. So far, isn't yeah, it? of course. I mean, it, it's your your partnership with Christian, Jack. Is it, it when you when you wrote out your claim? Were you confident that that would that your progress would would carry on pretty seamlessly. I'm assure. I'm, I'm assuming that you got assurances from the the people closest to you, notably Christian, that you know the the support and the the rides would still be there as you continue your way up. Yeah, um, definitely. <coughs> you know, nothing since, since I've lost my claim. You know, Christian's probably done. You know, given me more support than he did before. Um, so yeah, no, I can't complain. I, I always knew that you know Christian would keep supporting me, and it's just. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably a little bit harder. You know, you're not, you're not quite. You can't get rides in conditional races every day of the week, whereas you could before. Um, but yeah, in all fairness to Christian, he hasn't. He's never once, um, you know, never once not used me because I haven't got my claim. So, yeah, no, I'm. I think I'm in quite a, quite a, quite a lucky place. And when you were growing up, you know, obviously over the last few years, we're used to seeing, um, the, you know, the preeminence now of, of of Ireland in 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 Britain and Ireland but Wales has really made great strides itself as well hasn't it I mean obviously you, in the weighing room you've got the Bowen brothers Christian last season used that there hardly used to be a Saturday go by without him winning uh, yeah. a big chase obviously Sam Thomas as well that's when you when you were growing up was it um was Wales because uh, you, your family is steeped in jumping, isn't it? You've got a yeah, a, a, a Kim Muir Chase winner as your uncle James. Yeah, James. Yeah. Um, w was there the feeling maybe that over the last few years Wales has become a, a more sort of powerful place when it comes particularly to jumping, training and riding them? Yeah, I think. Um the last few years, you know, definitely, definitely jockeys as well. I think when we were, when we were pony racing as kids, there was Sean and James, and they were, you know, they were very hard to beat. But I think every, everyone wanted to beat them. Myself, Lorca Williams, Connor Brace, Ben Jones, Richard Patrick. There was, lo you know, there was a lot of us that, you know, we weren't probably didn't have the ponies that were quite good enough to beat them. But we were always, you know, having to improve our riding to try and to try and beat Sean and James. And it's definitely. It's definitely stood us in good stead when we've when we've turned into professional ranks. So you've just reeled off half a dozen names there who are now stalwarts of the of the jumping weighing room, haven't you? Yeah. And it, you know it, it's the most basic rule of competition, isn't it? That the the better people you're competing against, the better you become. So that must have been a you're you're twenty now. Twenty now, yeah. So I mean that must have been a big both help and inspiration to you, mustn't it? Yeah, there was, like I said, there was just so much, it was so competitive, so much rivalry every weekend, you know, every weekend we were going race, uh, going pony racing, and then I think we all probably did a season or two upon a point in as well, and I think we all, we all rode 15 plus winners in, in, in our first seasons, and then, 
you know, it probably put us in put us in a good place to turn professionals. I imagine that Christian's a pretty good guy to that was going to be my next question tell with. us a little bit more about the relationship with Christian Jack he always strikes me and I know Dave feels the same as such a laid-back character what's he like to work for does he have yeah. his moments maybe behind closed doors yeah I think everyone has has their, their moment of stress and and um, and whatnot but no he's in in the whole he's brilliant to work for is there's anything you need to help you out and um, yeah just like say laid back and just gets on with gets on with life do you think his own experiences as a jockey kind of perhaps helped give him a greater understanding of someone who's in your position? Yeah, he's um, from my point of view, riding, riding, you know, racing for him, he's he's unbelievable. I, I think you know, if a lot of people ride for him, he'd give them instructions and they'd be walking out thinking, "Christ, I don't have a clue what I'm going <laughs> to be doing here." It, it's the most. It's probably about three words is all he'd is all you'd get. But um, I think we've got quite a good relationship now that I know them three words, what they mean, and. There's no instructions. They're not tied down to anything. Just does that take the pressure off you? Oh yeah, yeah. there was. Um, I wrote when I was the the Welsh national. Uh, yeah, Potter's Corner. I, I rode a, a horse that was rated about eighty the week before in a nought two hundred, and um, in the paddock, obviously, I was my first big day. I was a bit nervous, and he said, "Oh, ride it like it was. Ride, ride him, ride him like he's Conus Tay." He was a horse rated eighty the week before in Hereford, <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was probably the rarest instructor I've ever had, but yeah, it worked out and it was, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's pretty easy to ride for anyway. And talk to us about the setup that he has down there. He very much seems to have his own way of doing things. Do you think that really benefits the horses? Yeah, um, yeah I think it just keeps horses very fresh and, you know, we're not we're not overly hard on horses at home. We try and, you know, try and make their season last from, um, you know, November to to March, which is which is probably the hardest thing to do, but um yeah where we train it's very different probably you know i think we could i think we could be a little bit more competitive if in in time to come when we get you know facilities that are more you know uh, newer facilities that like a match the top trainers i think we we might just lack that lack that little bit of you know top facilities that just just keeping us from that top grade but i'm sure within the next couple of years it will be yeah we'll be able to compete with the top anyway we're going to talk more in detail about some of the leading lights in the yard there, but you've just been telling me that the intention is to kind of streamline a bit, get the accent more on quality over quantity. Is that kind of a longer term view? Yeah, I think it's all about training, you know, training good horses and and just trying to get rid of the get rid of the lesser horses that you know you're, you're scratching your head to win to win races that you know are you know not worth not worth lots of money and, and different things, but. I think if you can get the quality, you don't have to train quite as many horses, and you can you can always keep your name, you know, in the in the um, in the papers and whatnot. And uh, yeah, I think it's all about the quality of horse you train rather than rather than the quantity a little bit. One question I don't need to ask you is what the highlight of your career has been today. Well, maybe the riding out the claim would be up there, but that Welsh National win on Potter's Corner obviously was a huge moment for you. Everyone concerned with the horse to win the nation's biggest race. Just what are your reflections on that day now that? We're a couple of years further down the line, three years on. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty yeah pretty brilliant. I have I definitely haven't had a day a day like that since. Um, I think just being Welsh, you know, the first Welsh winner for however many years it was. You know, Christian's first big winner, my first big winner. Everyone was there. There was just an atmosphere that you'd probably never be able to replace. You mentioned there about Christian often taking the pressure off you when you're you're going out to ride. Was there maybe? 
a little hint of extra expectation that day? No, not at all. It was um, just, yeah, usual, you know, usual. It was all laid back and, yeah, it was pretty straightforward, actually. Mm. <laughs> Manna from heaven for the media as well, Dave, a Welsh winner of the yeah. Welsh Grand National. Well, absolutely right, yeah. I mean, that was a great story to write. Um, it's the, the, the Welsh National has thrown up some, some really good stories over the years. Um, I think that, I mean, dealing with Christian is always, you know, it, it, it's interesting the the question about him as a personality you know that sort of is there sort of a an iron fist inside the velvet glove because of course to deal with he'd he, he's a very interesting character he's he's a university graduate he was a a high-ranking jockey a grade one winning jockey but not a jockey whose career went on for decades and decades he rode obviously you know rode Denman and and great horses when he was with Nichols and so he's got he sort of dips into so many different um, different sort of areas of knowledge doesn't he I, I th you know even ringing th there are some trainers and we all know this that you would ring after you know for example after after win my wings came out of the Charlie Hall on Friday morning uncontactable there, there would be some who would be uncontactable many who would be unprintable <laughs> when you do manage to get hold of them. But, you know, he was just sort of normal Christian Williams, you know, mm. just obviously frustrated, but essentially untroubled and fairly laid back. Right, you know, Coral Gold Cup now, look towards the national, that's the, that's the main aim. And just, uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a fascinating character for us to deal with, I think, because, you know, first of all, he's, he's extremely accessible, but there's just something, there's something slightly different about Christian in terms of um, he doesn't have that sort of received with wisdom that that some National Hunt trainers maybe who have learned from fathers and grandfathers and all the rest of it. Do you know what I mean? He it's almost like he started with a blank canvas and that's informed him in a in a very special way, I think. Okay then, time to get stuck into some great racing that took place yesterday and we're going to start off at Weatherby where it was Bet365 Charlie Hall Chase Day and a potentially epic clash was on the cards in the feature event between Ahoy Senor and Brave Man's Game who had met three times before with the scoreline standing at 2-1 in Ahoy Senor's favour but in the end guys, it proved to be a bit of a mismatch Ahoy Senor, the riding was on the wall from a pretty early stage Jack, I think you were watching the race maybe from Ascot, and we'll see here a hoist in your just gets lit up in the early part of the race. Would you have already been concerned about him at this point? Um, <clears throat> not really. He tends to have a you know he tends to have a very forward going, forward going way of racing. Um, you know, every horse is entitled to an off day. You know, hopefully, I'm sure his his connections are hoping that his off day was yesterday and that he'll he'll improve from that. Um, I thought Brave Man's game. You know he's got a brilliant way of racing. He's always just looks behind the bridle. He's a very he looks a very big horse, very nimble at his fences. He's you know he's making lengths every time he every time every time he comes off the floor. You know for a fence he, he's just he's making lengths. He, he's he's just saving all his energy. And I think it it looked yesterday that he is he is pretty special. He's a really talented horse, and you've got to love that jumping technique, Dave. He 
has set himself up beautifully potentially for the rest of the campaign, Brave Man's Game. What about at Hoy Senor? Is the jury out or the alarm bells ringing for I, you? I, I think they'd have to be, Gary. I think that the, the, the margin for error in, at, the, at the highest level is so thin, isn't it? It's like, it's like the margin for error in snooker and darts. You know, if you are a millimetre out, you can be in trouble. And I, c I can't think of a top-class chaser. In, I just can't think of one in my time in racing, which is 30 years plus professionally now, who didn't jump with metronomic reliability. And, it, and if, if, any, if anyone can think of one, feel free to shout out because I, I, there are the exuberant ones like Desert Orchid and there are the more measured ones that you hardly see leave the ground but Ahoy Senor he jumped out to his right early on he jumped big and then he got too close to one and it was like th this isn't this isn't how top class races over fences are won in in contrast, Brave Man's game was just absolutely—he was just flowing, wasn't he? It was liquid. It was—it was. It, he, we know that this horse is a lovely horse to look at. I, I think um, he's been a, as a novice. He was a great horse to watch because I just think that he has a really sort of likable, almost blue-collar way of doing things. But that yesterday was a step forward. The only thing I would be interested to hear from uh, from Paul Nichols is his sort of which I don't know he's about to come on but the 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 negative feeling towards the gold cup because I would have thought yesterday that all doors were open to brave man's game of course the the King George the mm. trainers won it 12 times and you know th that's the natural mid-season target for him but I would have thought yesterday that 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 would enhance brave man's games uh, credentials for for Cheltenham in March. Yes, we shall see. Paul is indeed going to join us via Zoom now. Paul, a very good morning. Thanks for being with us. How is Brave Man's game, first of all, this morning? Yeah, he's finally got back safely. Absolutely A1. Yeah, very happy. I'm sure you watched the race back when you got home last night. Did anything yeah. strike you about the performance, maybe more so than it had done at the time, or was it, if anything, even more impressive with the retelling? Obviously delighted with everything, the way he travelled, the way he jumped, the way he quickened from the back of the last and come back into the winner's enclosure, hardly had a blow. Um, obviously, I've left plenty to work on. We hadn't given him an away day. Quite often, if you're going for a big race, you might try and give them a gallop somewhere. We hadn't done that. He's just been ticking over at home. So, for the first run of the season, uh, you're going to build on that fitness-wise. Um, it was a super, super first run. We're delighted with him. And to be fair... We expected him to run like that. You can never be confident, but the signs he'd been shown at home and the way that we were very confident of a good run. I watched your post-race interviews, Paul, and I was struck by how calm you seemed to be in the aftermath of the race. Did the talk, I suppose, and the market support for a hoist in your half turning your boy into the underdog yesterday, did that almost suit you in a way? He was hardly the under, underdog. They were pretty well the same price, but... Uh, we never take too much notice of the pattern. Obviously, Hoysen, he was a very smart horse, had good form last year, and he, for whatever, underperformed yesterday. And I'm sure Skew and Hoysen are getting back to his best. Um, but, you know, we were fairly competent, um, didn't feel too much pressure. We just generally thought he'd run a big race and, you know, build on the rest of the season. Was it a pretty comfortable watch for you throughout? There didn't really appear to be an anxious moment, did there? 
No, I was just watching Harry. You know, I, I'd said to him before, and I actually think Hills likes plenty of room, so don't be afraid to go wide. I think it ain't true in the spring if you look at it. Though he wasn't quite white, he, he went around the inside and he never jumped particularly well. Uh, with a little bit of daylight where he sees his fences, he's electric. And he was just travelling beautifully. And when he went up past the stands with the circuit to go, I was thinking, well, I'm very, very happy with that. Um, I just, you know, his jumping was was fantastic, which is what you want in a good chaser. He travelled extremely well. And one thing Harry said, that uh, he idles a little bit. And when he hits the front and you commit, you know, from the back of the last, but... He felt he was just travelling around in third gear, jumped nicely and just quicken up when he wanted. So it was just everything we wanted to see on his first run of the season. It's not always a great idea comparing these horses to some of the great chasers that you've trained yeah. in the past. But Silvianaco Conti was the name I heard crop up once or twice yesterday. And yeah. there are definite similarities there, I think, between the two horses. You'd be quite happy if this fellow finished his career with a similar sort of CV to him, wouldn't you? Oh, of course you would. It's him and I could come to. He was a good horse. He won all those good races. Didn't actually perform at Chantal quite so well, but everywhere else he was good. Glenn Desabos in the same sort of mould, Seymour business. They were all good horses. You know, to start comparing them with Denman and Cortez Stars going a bit high, but, um, you know, he, he, he's obviously, I don't like really comparing them with horses in the past. He, he's very good. He's in his own right, and I think there's more to come. So we're very happy and very lucky to have him. His big race target, obviously, in the immediate future is the King George at Kempton. What sort of routine will he have between now and then? He doesn't need a lot of work. Um, we just take him over for a month. and I, I think I worked it out. It's about eight weeks this, uh, early next week, the race. So we got a nice bit of time. And that eight weeks soon goes by, really, with training all. So if, if you gave him another run somewhere in between, then you've got to back off. I think we can get him better with a gap. Um, and so we'll just take him over for three or four weeks um, and then start building that fitness up to, to Boxing Day. Alaho is a potential rival for you this time around, yeah. Paul, in the King George. Is that a class you'd relish? Of course it is. But Alaho's a very, very smart horse. But, you know, I suppose you could say coming over here is an away day for him rather than running in Ireland. It's a home game for us. But And, and we've won around Kempton. But he is a smart horse. You've got to have huge respect for him and... You know, if he turns up there, he will obviously be hard to beat. But, you know, it's a challenge we, we'll relish and we'll do our best. Speaking of Ireland, you did mention the likes of Leopardstown and Punchestown after yesterday's race. Are they on your radar as things stand, the Dublin Racing Festival and the Punchestown I, Festival? No, I was really merely saying that type of track would suit him, you know. It's, it's, it's uh, possibly more than Cheltenham. I was being asked about Cheltenham and I didn't really... We've got no plans to go to Leopardstown or Punchestown at the moment. I just said those tracks... Uh, would suit him. I suspect if he ran well and won the King George or uh, ran, you know, proper race, we'll go straight to Charlton for the Gold Cup. Of course, you've got to run a horse like that in the Gold Cup. Yeah, Cordo Star won those King Georges, and we always felt that Charlton probably wasn't his track, and eventually he came, but he won two Gold Cups. So you, you'd have to give it a go at that highest level if we won the King George um, and just prepare him differently to what we have done in the past. To be fair, he ran very well at Charlton last year when he was second over hurdles. So, you know, I'm sure if he wins at King George, it goes very well, and that will be going to Cheltenham. And, Paul, just before we let you go, quick word about your two winners at Ascot. I'm sure very pleased by those. Time White in the Burn Group chase, and Fireflyer looks a nice prospect at the bumper. Yeah, the horses all ran well at Ascot. We're unlucky not to have three winners, really. Samari was going well. He'll improve. Danny Kerwin ran well. Ran well. Um, and as you say, a Time White won nicely. I actually thought he'd need to run yesterday. He's a big gross horse. Just shows how wrong we are when we're training him and he travelled well. But he's just a bit like Brave Man's game, a year older, a year stronger, gets the trip a lot better. And he'll go back for the big, I think it's 125 gram race on the 19th. Um, and the bumper horse, we loved him all along from when we started. We thought he'd go well and 
he was green. That's the first time he's ever been away. He never had a gallop anywhere, so he can only improve. He'll probably go back for, I think they have a valuable listed race in December as well. So he's a smart horse for the future as well. Paul, thanks so much for your time this morning. Well done again yesterday and best of luck going forward. Thank you, my pleasure. Paul Nichols there, fantastic day for him yesterday with that fantastic win in the Charlie Hall chase from Brave Man's Game. Dave, did you get the answer you were looking for there about the Cheltenham Gold Cup? Still firmly on the radar. Yeah, just about. I think that the um, one of the things that um, Paul Nichols does, like the best trainers do, is that they 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 look at different avenues with horses, don't they? And they, they learn about the individual that they're training. And the one that always springs to mind to me with, is Dodging Bullets, who was almost like a, a nearly man two-mile chaser. And then he, he, he won a champion chase and the trainer said, right, I, th I threw loads of, we, we, we fed him and we worked him. And it sort of, you know, it, it brought about the result that uh, we were looking for. It was interesting yesterday with this horse, the fact that both the trainer and the jockey Harry Cobden said, in the last couple of years, this horse has been ready to go at the start of October. And we sort of left him now until the end of October, haven't given him an away day. And I wonder w that that ability to adapt to the, the horses that are in front of you, whether this year that might pay a dividend in the spring. Paul Nichols horses weren't going very well. Eh? They were a bit, not, not all of them, of course, that some of them were running very well and winning. But there was that feeling that they were a bit in and out going into entry last year. That horse had ulcers and all wasn't well. But I, I wonder to what extent he'll be a, a more durable horse for having started later. And just to get a quick word from you, Jack, about Brave Man's game, King George looks tailor-made for him, doesn't it? Would you see him as a Gold Cup horse of the future? Um, <coughs> after yesterday, you know, you'd have to. Um, you know, you obviously learn a lot more on the King George. He was, he was, he was pretty good around there last year in um, in the novice. Um, you know, I think if he if he was to run a big race in the King George, the only one the only one race he'd have to go for would be the Gold Cup. Yeah, it, lo it looks the obvious choice, doesn't it? It wasn't all about the Charlie Hall chase at Weatherby yesterday. There was some really good action on the undercard as well, and it was a terrific day for Dan Skelton. We're going to have a look now at Proshima's win in the about three six five hurdle. Uh, Molly Ollie's wishes, in fact, we're going to look at first of all. This mare, David, was her second win in a row in the race and provided a platform for a pretty spectacular afternoon, didn't it? Yeah, and what you said, Gary, about it not being all about the Charlie Hall chase is very true. This is a really good card, this, at Weatherby. You know, it's really informative from beginning to end. Um, I think even a few years ago we had more of that, didn't we, winning the, the, the final handicap hurdle. You know, it's it's... It's a really good card, this. It's not just like one race and an undercard that no one else really bothers about. Molly Ollie's wishes winning this race for the second year had the penalty um, as a result of this. Just look how far they finish clear of the third horse, the winner of Martello Sky. Um, it, she's a really remarkable mare, this. It looks as though she's fighting, if not a losing battle, then certainly a, a, a difficult battle. Um, but she responds under that penalty. She's uh, she won a, um, a grade two after this win last season. She wins a, um, a grade two over three miles at Ascot in January. Um, that will be the plan again. Um, but uh, what a what a, an admirable, remarkable mare Molly Ollie's wishes is. And as you say, it was a it was a um, a, a great day for Nichols and you know. His former, former protege. 
Yes. <laughs> it's hard, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to see the difference between them, isn't it? <laughs> they, they both talk in a very punchy way. Um, and yeah, he's just a chip off the old block, isn't he, Dan Scott? Molly Oli's wishes had to work quite hard, as we saw there. Jack, it was a different story entirely for Proshima in the long-distance hurdle. I thought this horse was something of a revelation yesterday. I don't know whether you've ridden against him in the past, but could you have seen a performance like this coming? Oh, God, I'm not sure. I, all I know, he was, he was very impressive, um, you know, given a, given a lovely ride, um, you know, produced, produced, you know, two out and, and quickened, quickened going to last and off the back of the last and put, put the race to bed pretty quick. It was, yeah, it was pretty impressive. And Dave, time will tell whether Proshima can follow this up. But could we potentially have seen a new kid on the block in this long distance well, early division or is it too early to it, say? I think it's probably too early to say, but, you know, this horse is winning for the first time, I think, for about 18 months. Um, was beaten behind uh, Napa's Hill at, Chep uh, at Chepstow. But what a, you know, I mean, he really was a revelation. Okay, you know, Sporting John didn't run particularly well here, and um, the winner here had fallen behind Sporting John at, at Cheltenham in November. But given a, a very cool ride by Harry Skelton, who played his hand at the last minute, but he just travelled into this with like a bomb, didn't he? I mean, it was a really, it was a revelation to me. I mean, I, you know. I'd tip Sporting John, which was sort of perhaps the easy way out anyway. But the the way that um, the way that this horse travelled into it, it was it was way in you know that old thing of um, of, of dividing a horse race into a, 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 a victory into style and substance. I mean, the style of it was really impressive, wasn't it? He absolutely tanked there. Um, so his his next run will tell us an awful lot, won't it? But that was that was impressive stuff. Let's find out what the trainer thought of it then, because Dan Skelton joins us via Zoom now. Dan, very good morning. Congratulations on a great day yesterday. All well with the horses that ran? Yeah, all well this morning, thank you. Um, it's just great to see them all sort of come alive a bit yesterday. We've been knocking on the door probably sort of two weeks, ten days ago, and I just hoped, <laughs> as I'm sure we all do as trainers, I just hoped it was there was going to be a turning point, and obviously it felt like yesterday was, but um, yeah, it's good fun watching those replays last night. We've just been discussing Proshima's performance. He made a bold bid to upstage Brave Man's game with the way he pulled clear up the run-in and that long-distance hurdle. Could you possibly have seen a performance like that coming? Has anything changed with the horse at home? I actually think he's probably sounder than he's ever been this year. Um, historically, he's had some uh, issues with his front joints. Um, and actually, when he fell um, at the Paddy Power meeting last year, he went for surgery and had a little chip removed. So maybe that's just been in there bugging him um, and it's needed to come out and a little bit of sort of strength over age has helped him. But he ran really well in the race last year. It was probably a carbon copy of last year without the finish. Um, what was impressive and different about this year was the fact that he really finished out from the back of the last, whereas last year he was just a little tame and, you know, he, he finished second to indefatigable. Um, so there is a there is a definite improvement from last year to this. I think like you've alluded to already, we need to go and see this backed up and we'll hopefully see him at Newbury in a month's time. Um, running in that type of race with the Class 1 penalty will answer a lot of questions. Yeah, I think you're definitely entitled to aim high with them after yesterday. And 
I noted that you ruled out one or two targets further down the line. I think the long walk was one race that you weren't necessarily too keen on. What's the thinking there? Is just maybe too much of an accent on stamina, possibly? Yeah, definitely. Although I look back, I look back um, at the results last night and noticed that it was run on good to soft, what well, they called good to soft ground last year. But I think by the time we get into December, um, good to soft then is probably what is soft now. So I, I just don't think he's that type of ground horse, and I think it would be. Um, a little foolish to have him ready around that time of year um, unless we were considering going to Leopardstown on that nice ground. But then, you you know, you've got to go and take on Florin Porter et al at a fairly early point in the year when, you know, they're going to they're gonna come and see us in, in March or April. So I'm not in a massive rush to do much or think much beyond Newbury. Um, but Newbury is certainly, uh, certainly next to Porter Call as long as he's OK. We'll follow his progress with interest. What about Molly Zolly's wishes, Dan? Obviously a huge favourite in the yard. How much of a kick did that give you to see her win the race for the second year in a row? Oh, it was magic. Last year, it was a bit of an afterthought. I actually had her entered in the in the three-mile race. And this year, we you know deliberately aimed for this because she'd won it last year. So I was just delighted to see it happen, really. You know, a, a three-miler winning at two um, is, you know, just shows her versatility, her toughness. And yeah, I mean, after the second last, I always hoped we'd get there, and I knew it wasn't um, it wasn't going to be a pretty victory uh, if we did. Um, I knew she was going to have to be gritty, but uh, she was, and I'm we're all super proud of her. She's English bred. She's named after a charity. Um, you know, the, the the guys that own her, the family that own her, just absolutely love her, um, and she's kind of what British breeding. She's a great advert for what British breeding needs, to be honest with you, and. Um, yeah, I'd like to try and aim for that Ascot race again. But the way she is this morning, um, I'll actually look at Kempton in, in three weeks' time because there's a three-mile mare's race there. I was sort of immediately after the race yesterday, I was like, well, we'll just, we'll just put, her, put her away for Ascot. But the way she is this morning, I think we'll, we'll perhaps consider Kempton. And I don't want to forget about the final leg of the treble, Dan. Rocky Mann, who beat a progressive horse of Nicky Richards with a pair of them a long way clear in the finale. Have we perhaps found a handicapper to follow here first run after a wind up yesterday i think so yeah i mean he's he's a horse that obviously we tried at quite a high level last year um and i said to colin who owns him look if we win a race as a juvenile it want to be a good one um because i can see him being a second year novice and improving for a step up in trip and um all the things that you saw yesterday effectively and i felt that he was you know acceptably handicapped on on last year's juvenile form um, the hardest thing is those four-year-olds against older horses. Um, that that can sometimes prove a bit of a sticky point. But obviously yesterday he picked up well from the back of the last. And like you say, they're a long way clear and they're probably two pretty progressive horses. Um, so it's, it's it's good to see. This horse is actually still entire. Um, so we're going to, at some point, I'm sure we're going to look at the uh, at the better races. But I should think we will wait until the spring before we sort of really aim high because... He feels like if we can just keep his feet on the ground and uh, and keep him on an upward trajectory, uh, we we could arrive in the spring with a horse that's got a bit more experience under his belt and ready to ready to step up. You're not thinking of adding him to your stallion roster further down the line, are you? Well, he's got to prove he's good enough. <laughs> um, that 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 game that game they they they, they prove themselves. It's it's not really you know it's not necessarily up to the human. Uh, you know the the human input in that game. I've realised quite quickly is is obviously very important, but it's it, it's not the it's not the deciding factor. That is done upon um, 
up, uh, upon a performance and, and and ability and you know they've got to they've got to go and prove that they are that type of horse before you can consider it but he's got a great family and he's by dr dino who's one of the sort of the big sires in france at the moment so um we 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 purchased him with with that in mind if he if if he proved good enough and i have to say that that was the the first step on the ladder yesterday and Dan, very quickly before we let you go what about adding to your weekend haul today a few chances at carlisle yeah three nice chances really king of Rye hope goes nicely at home but obviously hasn't been out for a while he won his only irish point the ground i think will be suitable for him uh viva la villa has always been a chaser in the making although this is you know for for a novice chase big big field and very very competitive so um, I think Carlisle could be quite happy with, with what they've attracted. But if this was just a sort of a standard six or seven runner novice chase, I'd be fairly confident. But I just feel that the competitiveness of the race, there'll be a lot of winners come out of this race. You don't necessarily have to be the winner to be uh, a horse to follow in, in, in this race. And then Seven No Trumps is taking on a big trip. We're taking the trip on trust, but it's worth so much money. We thought we'd, we'd give it a go. So we're up there giving it our best. Welcome back. Our next guest rode a couple of winners as an amateur jockey, the highlight of which was the success of Baden in the 2018 Grand Military Gold Cup at Sandown. He then went on to spend a three-year stint with that horse's trainer, Nicky Henderson, at Seven Barrows before making the decision to strike out in his own right. And he has just celebrated his first winner with 50-to-1 shot Conceal, surviving a steward's inquiry to score at Utoxeter on Friday it's Billy Abrahamian. Billy, welcome. And dare I say it, we've timed this pretty well, have we not? First winner with just your fourth winner, is it? Fourth runner? Yeah, well, fourth runner, yeah. One hunter chaser back in April or so. So, yeah, fourth runner on the rules. Tell us about Friday. That must have been some day. We're talking about a horse here that you bought from Ben Pauling, one of your predecessors at Seven Barrows, who then beat one of his into second place had to survive what I gather was quite a lengthy steward's <laughs> inquiry. Have I missed anything there? No. Uh, yeah, so we bought him 18 months ago to take pointing for a bit of fun for me. And we built the, uh, the JFG Racing Club then, and he was one of the horses for that, to, then with the idea to take him under rules when I eventually got my licence out. Um, and, you know, yeah, he was a 50 to 1 shot. And I thought he was, I thought he was straight enough, but he never, he'd never fought before. He always would fold up. And, you know, he showed serious guts. He got headed twice in the running. And um, I was just very, very proud of how he run. Did you back him? I didn't have a cent <laughs> on him. <laughs> We're having a look at a few shots of the closing stages here. Just tell us about the steward's inquiry and the anxiety levels as that was proceeding. To be honest, the, the, the steward's inquiry, yes, it happened. But we looked at it and I didn't think there was much in it. And I think, saying this now, we've won the race. But even if we had lost the race, I was just so happy and relieved that we got a horse to the track and has run like that um, so I, I think I, either way either way it was going to go I was very proud of how he had done how my team had done and when it was all made official what was that feeling like did it live up to your expectations of what it might feel yeah, like I felt like I won the gold cup <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah it was just lovely to get the ball rolling you know to get off the mark is fantastic and just to complete the circle, of course, written by a Seven Barrows jockey in James Bowen. Is he a man we're going to see riding plenty of your horses, hopefully? I, I absolutely hope so, yeah. I obviously built a great relationship with James while I was there. He's a great kid and it's, you know hugely talented jockey. Um, and we get on very well. And I'd, you know, He'd be my first choice for anything as long as he's available. Was the governor or 
the old governor on to offer his congratulations. Yeah, I, what did yeah. he make of it all? I had a message from 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 Nicky, and uh, you know he was he was very he was very generous, very kind. And Billy, on a serious note, what do you feel is the importance of hitting the ground running when you're starting out as a trainer? Is it kind of crucial to show people that you're on the scene and potentially capable of setting out winners? It definitely helps. It definitely helps. But I think more from my belief in myself, I think. We've spent the summer building a team of horses, building a team of people, getting into a routine. And you have these horses in the yard, you know, up until two or three weeks ago, we hadn't had a runner. So there was this buzz in the yard of the horses, were they ready, where we were going to go. And now we've sent one out and he's, we've landed a prize. There's, you know, a lot of confidence that we are actually doing something, something right. We touched on your brief career as an amateur, I think it's fair to say, at the top of the programme there, but it did include a really notable win, that Grand Military Gold Cup at Sandown. Did that just fuel your desire that racing was very much going to be your way forward? Yes. Uh, yeah, I used to play polo professionally, and then when I gave that up, the national hunt racing drug really took hold, and then I started point-pointing, and um, I just loved the, the race riding just you know pointing and then was very lucky enough to ride for Miss Henderson and from there I thought possibly you know training could be a could be an option you know po a possibility it was always a dream that I wanted to do I never thought it would quite map out how it has. How good did you have to be on bad on that day or was it no. all down to the horse? I did very little <laughs> <laughs> it was all the horse. Did it go pretty smoothly in all seriousness? Yeah no absolutely I think the only time I ever won a race was when anyone could have won so I don't think the jockey in any of my wins did much at all. And tell me about your time with Nicky. I mean, we've seen so many guys that serve their time there go on to forge successful careers themselves. Was that always the path you wanted to follow? And how much do you feel you've taken away from there? Yeah, absolutely. That was what the path, the path I saw. You know, Toby Laws, my predecessor before him, Ben, Tom Simmons. You know, so many of those guys have gone to do so very well. Um, you, learn, you can learn so much from the governor. Um, the place is amazing. It's not just the governor you learn from, it's the team. The guys who've been there, you know, Rich and Sarah, um, all the other head lads, Katie, Dave, that's, you know, there's, just, there's just a wealth of knowledge there and people, you've got the best vets in the country, you've got the best farriers. You can learn from everywhere. So I went in as a sponge and tried to just absorb as much information, as knowledge as I can. And how much preparation then, while you were there, was going into the start of your own operation. I presume you had to put some building blocks in place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were. Uh, we had. A f I had a few pointers at home. Bit of fun for me to ride, which actually probably ended up being quite stressful because the scales and I never got on. <laughs> um, and so we were sort of getting a feel of how the pointers were going at home while being at Seven Barrows. Um, my head girl Molly started 18 months ago, so she ran the pointers while I was at down at Seven Barrows, so she was getting a feel of the place. Um, and, you know, we put a few more stables in and made sure the gallop was up to standard. And um, we just sort of had a small little batch rolling just to give us a good idea of where we might be when we start properly. And you mentioned you're running a 100 chase there. That was back in March, I think. Was it Precious Cargo? Yep. Did that almost serve as kind of a soft launch for the operation? Uh, no, it, actually, it was because I... We'd always run him over two miles. He came from Seven Barrows and he would run over two miles. You know, we were stepping up to three and he just didn't stay. Um, and the reason we went hunter chasing with him was because that was the only race I could find that was two miles that we could run in. So um, we put Gina Ellis on board and she steered him around and got him home for fourth. We were very happy with him. But he's, he's since retired and he was out hunting yesterday with the beaver, I think. 
And Billy, tell us about your facilities. How much room have you got for new recruits potentially and what are your ambitions in terms of growing the operation? So we've got room for 20. We're li I'm licensed for 20 at the moment. Um, we're sort of in the middle of nowhere, so we've got plenty of space to grow. We're sort of in the, in the middle of 40 acres of paddocks, so we um, have lots of turnout for the horses and there's also space for another barn if we should need it. Um, uh, we've got a half mile round gallop uh, on literally on site and then about a mile down the road where Laura Horsfall trains, she's got a five furlong hill gallop, so we sort of swap and change and both of us use each other's gallops, which is um, very amicable. Dave, how brave do you think this man is to throw his hat into the ring and what, as we all know, is a notoriously competitive profession? It's too late to talk him out of it now. <laughs> at, at, at the best of times, and at the moment, Billy, you know, the country is in a, I think it's fair to say, a, a state of uncertainty politically, economically. Was there a, what, what's your, your thought process when you, because training racehorses is, fits into the luxury item yep. bracket, doesn't it? What, what, what's your thought process in the long term towards setting up and then in the short term when we're going through the summer and then into autumn was there a point where you think this is this is this is a dodgy time or, or uh, by that point is it is it too late I when you say thought process there probably isn't too much if I was a businessman I wouldn't be doing this you know I'm not setting up I'm not going training resources I don't know many trainers who do train resources who are doing it as a, you know. I, I do it because I love horse racing and I love training. If I was a successful businessman, I wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd just own them and pay someone else to do it well, or do it myself. You know, what, what I'm saying is that I absolutely love having the horses, training them, being around them. And that's what I want to do with my life. I want to train racehorses now. Is it ever a good time to set up? I, I don't know. I'm doing it because I, I love the game and I, I just love the horses themselves, the individuals. That I suppose in s what you say that obviously there are times economically when things are going very well, but outside of that, I suppose economically, financially, because you, you don't do it to make money, but it's, yeah. it's got to be viable, <laughs> yeah, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course, yeah. And so I suppose that outside of the period when we know things are going very well, there are loads of reasons not to do it essentially yeah there are but you know i you've only got one life and i you know i want to give this and that as much as i can and see where we go what about the family involvement billy did i read a lot of your family are, are kind of involved behind the scenes helping out yeah so we're, where we're, where we are my wife and baby and i live at the yard um and to be honest it wouldn't be possible without my wife <laughs> she's, she's a rock um and then we've got mum and dad, so it's, uh, it's at home um, where mum and dad are. And so you know, they're involved, they're there every day, um, more giving, keeping me sort of... Dad's very good with keeping ideas realistic and dreams realistic. I get sort of carried away and start dreaming. Um, but, you know, dad keeps us very grounded and, we, and you know, we're sort of doing it together, putting, we put those barns up, we designed the new barn. Um, and, you know, the family, I couldn't do it without the family. Just to go back to what you were talking about there, some of those other names who I suppose pre preceded you at Seven Barrows and made a good fist of things and people like Charlie Longston and Jamie Snowden obviously had that association as well. Have you taken real encouragement seeing them go on to achieve what they have? Does that show you that 
this definitely can be done, even in a challenging economic environment. Absolutely. Uh, and talking with those, all those gents, that, I mean, there's amazing this sort of bond you have with all of the other ex-assistants. You know, I would talk to, talk to Ben, talk to Charlie, talk to, I talk to all of them. And they're always so kind and generous. They've given me their time, their advice, you know, every single one of them. Um, I speak credit, I suppose, from where they've, the school they've come from. Well, I'm sure many of you were following the action from Cheltenham's opening fixture of the new season last weekend. You'll be well aware, if you were, that it was a particularly good couple of days for the visitors. We had the likes of the usual suspects, Charles Burns with a winner, Willie Mullins with his only runner scoring, Gordon Elliott with a couple as well. But leading the way with three winners from just eight runners was this man, John McConnell. John, welcome. Thank you. Another trip across the Irish Sea for you. You're probably well used to it at this stage, water off a duck's back, I guess. But how good a weekend was that for you last weekend? How much satisfaction did you take away? Uh, we took a lot of satisfaction because we'd thought about coming for the last two or three months. It was a lot of my horses wouldn't be winter horses, so it was for some of them it was might be their their last run for a while. And uh, things worked out. Most of them ran really well. Um, the three that won in particular, there was different reasons why they were satisfying for me, but. Um, yeah, it was, you, you, I would have been happy with three. I, I wouldn't have been happier, happy without three, but I, I was delighted to get three. You know? Is that kind of a sign of how far you've come, that you're going to Cheltenham and probably would be a little bit disappointed almost if you didn't have at least a couple of winners? Well, I, sp I suppose it is. Um, we really felt we had good chances with some of the horses coming over. And, um, yeah, I would have been very disappointed if, if some of the horses hadn't hadn't won in particular. I really thought Fenner Cross had a great chance from the day he was... Uh, placed in Galway in his first maiden hurdle. I thought he had a super chance and the horse that won the bumper in Canter Bruno is a, has been a very good horse at home and, and uh, we just wanted him to go and prove it, that he could do it on the track again, so it was great. Yeah, he looks to have a really bright future. John, I think you'd be the first to admit, you haven't been an overnight success. You've been training for quite a long time now. When did you first take out the licence? Was it around about the turn of the century? Well, yeah, I, I, I qualified in uh, veterinary in 2000 and I got a restricted licence in 2001 when I was like 20, 23, 24. So, but that was for one horse. Um, when we tipped along there, I, I worked as a vet for seven or eight years and <clears throat> eventually decided to have a right go at it in about 2008. Um, moved to the Curra. Thankfully, the recession started just as I moved, so that <laughs> that'll put us under a lot of pressure. And um, moved to where I am then, 2010. And listen, it has been slow, but it's getting going now. Mm. Where did the desire to train come from? What kind of lit the flame for you, so to speak? Um, we we always had horses at home on a very small scale. We had a couple of brood mares or whatever, um, and I did a lot of eventing and show jumping when I was young. But I suppose really, Michael O'Brien trained very close to me at home and I would have ridden out summers for him and really enjoyed that and felt I had a good kind of grasp of of the horses and I was always a very well I would say a very uh, good kind of form guy um, I liked the, I liked the odd flutter back in the day not so much now but back in the day I did so um, I and I was always going to be as you can see too heavy to be a jockey so I it was always in my mind to to try it at some stage um, my parents were pretty adamant to go and get a degree, so uh, I did the veterinary degree, and um, but it was always kind of going that direction. Mm. Just how difficult were those early years? I mean, you mentioned the recession there. You're going into a highly competitive profession. You often hear it said Ireland is as competitive as it gets when it comes to racing. 
was it pretty tough going at times? Oh, for sure. I mean, when we started properly with, with the recession coming in, uh, it was, you know, it was nearly, you know, we're nearly to the, we were nearly gone, I suppose. Um, but uh, you have to have the belief in yourself, I suppose, and, and the, the dream. If you're not a dreamer in this game, you're, you're probably in the wrong game. So that always fueled us. Um, I remember the trainer, Tim Pitt, uh, a long, long time ago, said that it's the most confident stepping game you could be in. And he, I think he trained a Group 1 winner. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> I'm still looking at horses in the parade ring and turning to somebody going, are they fit? Um, you know, so it's, it's a tough game, but, you know, I wouldn't change it. Mm. It's interesting what you say there. Have you kind of in many ways learned as you've gone along over the years? Pretty much like I, I didn't, I wasn't pupil assistant anywhere. Um, um, I would have read a lot of books in college uh, on how to get horses fit and stuff like that. But a lot of it was self-taught and um, the system we have now is probably in place maybe five or six years. Maybe that's something to do with the turnaround and fortune. But um, Would you change that now if you could? Would you? spend time with other yards if you had your time uh, again? Possibly, yeah. Um, there was a lot of things happening around uh, 2000. Um, Killian was born just pr pretty much just out of college, so that changed everything for me. So, um, you know, uh, it wasn't the case I could just up and, and leave to go to Newmarket or wherever to, to be an assistant. So, um, uh, you know, listen, it, it was the path we went down and uh, I was quite happy tipping along with a couple of horses early on. and. Um, hoping to get the, the breaks and I suppose then getting good owners into the air that would spend some more money was a big factor. Mm. Looking back on it now, I mean, do you feel there was a turning point at some stage? Was there one victory or maybe one horse who perhaps convinced you that you could do the job and this was the right path to follow? Um, I mean, we, we, we had a quite a, a good bit of success early on. We had a horse called Sophist who we bought at a German Azita for 7,000 and he won the grade three juvenile hurdle in December um, on, I think, his second run over hurdles. And he was all ready to go to the Fred Winter and then got a leg. So that was very early on. But, you know, to find another one for 7,000 like that would be as hard as you know. So I always believed that I could do it. Um, but there's one thing in this game, especially, there's a lot of people believe they can do it and there's a lot of people that can do it, but don't succeed because they don't have the look or they don't have the backing or, uh, you know, things like that. So you have to, everything has to go your way um, to be successful in this game, in training anyway. And your operation is obviously a year round one. You're yeah. becoming increasingly influential with the jumpers, but have a lot of flat horses to run as well. Plenty of them run throughout the winter at Dundalk. Is that difficult to juggle or are you quite happy to, I suppose, keep both fronts active for as long as you can? Well, I love both codes. Mm. Um, I find it very hard to compare uh, when a two-year-old works very well or when a horse schools very well, they both give you the same feeling. But, um, I mean, it's it's been born out of not being able to turn down people because we weren't in a position to or anything, you know, so I took kind of what I got and it's been a mixed bunch all, all along. Um, my jump horses would probably be of higher quality because that's where the money's been spent by the owners in that area, but I love flat racing as well. Obviously, I had a case of you before uh, Ado took him over, and um, you know, it's. Uh, I would love to be able to do both. Um, Henry does a very good job. Obviously, Willie does a very good job um, with with you know mixed horses. So, um, I would like to be able to continue both uh, both aspects of it. Do you think it's 
more difficult to compete in one or the other? I mean, the I suppose the pendulum swung perhaps more towards jumps now is the more difficult yeah, I, really I, I to would, get in amongst the big guys. I would it? agree with you that the jumps are so competitive from the point of view that um, even if the Kumar guys go to buy yearlings, they're still unraced, un, un, untried horses, whereas the horses that are being bought now by the, the big guys are in the jumps game are all proven either in France or in point to point. So they have a head start. They're probably all, in Ireland anyway, they're probably all running about three schooling hurdles before they go to a, a maiden hurdle. So y there's no easy races anymore in Ireland, you know. Um, <coughs> and on the flat, sometimes even the good horses can take a run. They're not, a lot of them aren't, you know, drilled first amount, especially from the good yard. So if you did have a good two-year-old and you did have them ready, you, you could win your maiden. Um, but it's, you know, it's very, very competitive over, over there, as you know. Mm. I'm not sure if you had a long-term plan set out when you started training or, or maybe it was a case of just finding your way. But if so, are you roughly where you envisage you might be at this stage <laughs> of your career or were you aiming even higher? No, about 10 years behind, I'd say. Right. But um, um, that was probably romantic uh, notions I had. Um, I mean, I'm very happy where I am now. We've got a great team, great team of staff, great team of owners, and I want to keep pushing. I've said a lot to people that when I was struggling, I felt I was hungry, but I'm 10 times hungrier now that we're actually doing okay, you know? So um, it's become more an obsession than it ever was now. Mm. Dave, you've been listening to John's backstory there, I suppose, and you'll be familiar with his raids to Britain over the last yeah. couple of years, which have obviously borne an awful lot of fruit, not just at Cheltenham last weekend. Is he becoming a man increasingly that British punters are sitting up and taking notice of? Do you of feel? course. I mean, I think there are a couple of really interesting things, John. First of all is that you are breaking into, you know, whether you call it a duopoly or a triopoly or whatever it is. You know, I mean, like, I, I know people who, who came away from owning horses in Ireland because they just felt that they couldn't really get a look in. Yeah. And so you've managed to do that, which is, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're not going to uh, sort of uh, uh, boast about it, but it's, but that's a, that's some, something to achieve, isn't it? Mm. It must be quite a daunting thing at the start. It is. It, um, it is a daunting thing. Um, it's funny because I thankfully now have a horse for the McNeil family and I was talking to Max McNeil last week at Cheltenham and he just, he was introducing me to somebody and he described me as a disruptor, um, which I kind of, I, I kind of loved. Um, uh, you know, so I suppose that's kind of what you're saying, um, kind of trying to snap at the heels of the big guys. But it's, you know, the, the big guys are obviously very good trainers, but they're also backed by a lot of a lot of money. And um, we have some big owners now putting in a lot of money, but um, we kind of need to keep bolstering the team all the time to really, um, you know, keep put them under pressure.